0: Well, we're in the second week of our series, um, and at the very least, we know that some of you are beginning to be convicted about screening the, the calls of your friends who are calling you needing a favor, um, which I guess feels like a win, at least uh, somewhat. Uh, but if you weren't here last week, uh, we kicked off this series, and um, I have to admit, if you were here at North Point with us, um, I, I was a little bit discouraged this week uh, by some of the response that I've gotten about the message. In fact, the primary, the primary question that I've received from those of you who are here last week and getting feedback was, who won the soccer game? Um, Most of you are wondering, you know, who won the Battle of the Blues? Did Navy Blue win or did Light Blue win? And um, I'm really discouraged about this because the message was about losing. Okay? People, it wasn't about winning, it was about losing, but Since you asked, um, we won the game. So just wanted you to know that uh, we won the soccer game. Navy Blue pulled it through. Um, But if you weren't here with us last week, you have no idea what we were talking about. I'm gonna catch you up real quick. Last week, we began with the tension. And we said that that nobody likes to lose. In fact, we all like to win. We love to win uh, in our families. We love to win in business. We like our kids to win. We like to win in relationships. Nobody likes to lose. However, for those of us who are really trying to follow the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the New Testament, we said this, we said that sometimes... Following Jesus feels like choosing to lose. That may be why some of you decided not to be a Christian. That's why some of you have resisted, you know, maybe really being all in is because sometimes in following Jesus, following what Jesus taught us, it really feels like for us, it feels like choosing to lose. And choosing to lose is something that none of us really want to do. It's it's something that none of us really feel like we would ever choose to do. But here's the thing. This is what we said last week is that Jesus was really upfront about this. He didn't try to hide it. With his earliest followers, Jesus was upfront about the fact that it would cost us something. As a matter of fact, even though this is something we wish hadn't been preserved, hadn't been recorded, but of the people that recorded the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them recorded this statement of Jesus. And here's how Mark quoted Jesus. And he said this, this was our verse we looked at last week, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. One of the things we said last week that oftentimes winning involves losing first. We, we said that the, the truth is, is that everybody loses. Everybody loses something. The question is, what will you choose to lose? See, winning anything significant in life, as, as many of us have learned, as our parents have taught us, involves losing something else. Some of you, you chose to, to, to uh, lose in terms of hanging out with your friends and having fun when you were younger, but you won the scholarship. You won the opportunity. You won the job. And, and, and you won something later, even though you had to lose. For others of you, you lost the, the promotion. You lost the big, the big promotion because it was going to take too much travel. too much of your time away from your family. But you won something more significant. You won a relationship with your kids. And you're so glad as you look back. You're so glad you chose to lose out on that promotion for the sake of what you gained in following Jesus. And the reality is, is this question was the homework I gave you last week. This question, what will you choose to lose? Because as we said, everybody loses something. And if you decide that in following Jesus, what it looks like it's going to cost you, what it looks like you're going to lose, if you decide that you're not going to lose out on that, you just can't do it, it costs too much, you're going to lose something and you owe it to yourself, we said. You owe it to yourself to discover what you're going to lose because you will lose something. It's just a principle that we've all come to know. Now, The really cool thing is um, this week we're going to talk about something. It's not going to be as difficult as last week, but it may be even a little more challenging. I think for some of us, it's going to be a little more inspiring. Because what we're going to talk about this week, even though it's not natural for any of us, in fact, it's really uncomfortable to choose to lose what we're going to talk about this week. It actually opens the door to the biggest wins in following Jesus. What we're going to talk about losing, that if you'll choose to lose this thing, It actually opens the door. It actually leads. The path of following you would follow in choosing to lose this thing opens the door to some remarkable, amazing things in following Jesus. But instead of telling you, I thought we would discover it together in a very, very familiar story in the New Testament. Now, before we jump into our story, there were some events that happened before this story that are really important to where we're going today. In fact, they're going to help us put this story in context because we all know this story, but the context of this story is really important. Jesus was with his disciples, and they had set out across the Sea of Galilee. And they set out across the Sea of Galilee to get away from the crowds. Jesus had been doing miracles, and people were following. A huge crowd of people had started to follow. So they got in a boat and pushed away from shore, shore, and they went out, the Bible tells us, to a very remote place. And while they were out in this remote place, um, when they went, after they got out, they were, they were trying to, to seek some, you know, some, some refuge, but the crowds followed them. Jesus had been doing all these miracles, and not only did the crowds follow, but they had brought their sick. Those who were sick, the family members and their friends, they had gotten them and brought all of these people to follow Jesus. And then they brought these people to Jesus. And the Bible tells us that when Jesus saw them, even though he was trying to get away, even though they were trying to get some rest, it says that Jesus had compassion on them. And he began to heal the sick. And apparently, this went on all day long. And it, and it went on so long that the disciples came to him with a problem it began to be evening, the disciples came to him they said, hey look, we've got to dismiss the people we've got to send them away because it's, it's getting dark and it's time to eat and we have no food and Jesus responded to them, some of you remember the story Jesus responded to them, he said, he said, you feed them and John tells us that that was a test that Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do, but he wanted to see what, how the disciples would respond to his instructions he said, you feed them and I imagine the disciples are going, huh? What? How can we do this? They began to talk to him about how expensive that would be and how many people there were. And there was no way this could happen. So Jesus said, well, what do you have? And they said, well, we don't have anything. Well, I mean, we have this boy. This boy, this one boy has five loaves and two fish. That's all we have. And Jesus said, bring it to me. And so Jesus, getting the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven. He thanked God for it. And then he began to divide it amongst the disciples. Some of you remember the story. And 5,000 men in addition to all the women and children who were there, ate that day. They were all fully satisfied, and 12 baskets were left over. That's been their day so far. What an incredible day. All the miracles, all the people being, being healed, 5,000 people, the disciples getting to be a part of that. But it's what happened that night is what we're going to focus on. See, what happened that night is so interesting. What happened next is really, really Remarkable. This is the way Matthew, who was an eyewitness, by the way, he was with them, among them. This is how Matthew records it. He said, immediately, Jesus made the disciples, Matthew was one of them, get in the boat and go ahead of, the, ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Jesus, Jesus apparently, there was, there was an, an urgency, and one of the other accounts tells us that there was some rumblings amongst the crowd, and because of what Jesus was doing, they were ready to force him to become king. They were ready to proclaim him to be king, and this was gonna cause all sorts of disruption, and this wasn't Jesus' plan. So Jesus immediately made his disciples get in a boat and go out to shore. And after he dismissed the crowds he went up to the mountainside to pray for himself. It had been a long day for Jesus. Jesus was was probably exhausted. He had been trying to get away before that. And he'd spent all day doing miracles and spent all day interacting with people. He'd fed all these people. And Jesus decided to retire, as he had done often, to get away and spend some time praying to the Father. And it tells us, this this is where we really jump in. Later that night... He was there alone up on the mountainside, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land. So Jesus is on the mountain. The disciples are out on the Sea of Galilee, and, the, and they were buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, this is, this is hard for us to imagine. Some of you, you don't, you don't know anything about the Sea of Galilee, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to show you a picture. Here's a, here's a picture of the Sea of Galilee. This is the Sea of Galilee, and they were in Bethsaida. Bethsaida is, 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 a, is a remote area on the northeast corner of, of the Sea of Galilee. And that's where they pushed out from. Jesus was on a mountainside over here. And this whole, this whole sea is only about eight miles wide. And so they set out. And, and another account tells us, as they were about halfway, Jesus on the mountain could see them. Now, some of you, you, you don't know how big this lake is. And I don't know if you're familiar, but this is shaped about like Lake Tahoe. And if you've ever been to Lake Tahoe, you know you can see across Lake Tahoe. Well, this is only about a third of the size of Lake Tahoe. So Jesus somehow could see them, and they're only about halfway across the sea, and and they're buffeted by the wind and the waves, which is a significant word if you've ever ever been surfing or if you've ever been boogie boarding. You know what it is to be going out towards those waves, and those big breakers are crashing, and you just can't get past them. And you're trying to get out to some of the bigger waves so that you can ride the waves in, and they just keep crashing, and you can't get out there. And that's what they were experiencing. Uh, For those of you who've never been surfing or you've never been boogie boarding, even though we live in the South, this might be tough to imagine. Imagine a frustrated motorist in the midst of a snowstorm sitting in their car for 15 plus hours. (laughs) You with me now? For some of you, this is gonna be too soon. It's gonna be too soon. But shortly before dawn, okay? Not in your car. Get, Get out of your car, come back to the boat. Shortly before dawn, Jesus is watching. Now think about this for a minute. Shortly before dawn, Jesus is watching them. And I told you, it's it's only eight miles across. I mean, they've been out there for 10 hours now. This is about 3 a.m. It says in the fourth watch of the night, about 3 a.m. in the morning, they're out there. half, And they've only made it halfway across the lake. This should have only taken them at max two hours. An hour or so, a little more for for some really experienced um, uh, uh, or people, whatever you call them, (laughs) rowers. But if they're in the boat and they're crossing the, the sea, it shouldn't have taken them that long, but there's wind and there's waves and they're halfway across the lake and they're stuck in the middle of the lake. They're too far to come back, but they're not making any headway and Jesus sees them out on the water. They're stuck out in the middle of the water. I, and I imagine after 10 hours, their hands bleeding, their muscles cramping, frustrated. They're probably wondering, how do we get into this mess? How do we get out here? What are we doing And where is Jesus? He's the one who made us come out here. And the Bible tells us shortly before dawn that Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him, and Matthew wanted to make sure we knew, because he was there, the disciples saw him, Matthew saw him, walking on the lake. They were terrified. Which I, I'll be honest with you. If it were me and I was in a boat in the middle of a storm and somebody came walking toward our boat on the water, I'd be terrified too. The Bible tells us they thought it was a ghost. It was a ghost they said and cried out in fear. They were, they were, they didn't know what this was. They didn't recognize Jesus and they were already scared. They were already frustrated. They were probably delusional after being out there all night working, rowing in, in, in the, in the wind and the waves for 10 hours plus. And it tells us that they were terrified. And then, this is so important. This is probably the most important thing we're gonna look at today. Look at Jesus's response. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. This phrase was a phrase that was very common to Jesus. He used this phrase a lot. Jesus used this phrase usually in impossible situations, when he was trying to comfort people. He used it when he was healing a paralytic, when he was healing a blind man, when a synagogue leader's daughter had died just before Jesus brought, him back, brought her back to life. He used this phrase. Jesus used this phrase with his disciples when they were facing persecution. Jesus used this phrase, he spoke this phrase to Paul when he was facing the religious leaders and when he went to face Rome, he said, take courage. And it's it's translated a lot of different ways in the New Testament, in fact, in different accounts. It's it's, 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 uh, It's translated, take heart, take comfort, be of good cheer is another way it's translated. And Jesus used this phrase often. In an, in an effort to comfort people, in an effort to say, hey, be comforted, take comfort, take courage, be confident. It's okay. I'm here. You don't have to be afraid. I'm with you. And then Mark includes a detail. A detail I think is so important to us. See, they were terrified. But Mark says that they were, after Jesus seen Jesus walk in the water, they were completely amazed. For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Which is a curious thing to say. I, I wonder if this is why Jesus immediately made them get into the boat. I don't have any evidence of this, but I wonder if a part of why Jesus sent them off is because he knew they didn't get it yet. They weren't ready. They weren't ready for what was about to come. And Jesus sent them out on the boat. I wonder if Jesus himself was amazed. Think about the day they had. I mean, they had just witnessed tons of miracles. They had just fed 5,000 people from a boy's lunch. And they were amazed that Jesus was walking on the water? I mean... That's, that's crazy. But Mark tells us it's because they didn't understand about the loaves. Now, this is a really unique word. This, this, this is a, a Greek word that, that actually, it's this Greek word right here, suniemi. Suniemi. Will you say that with me? Say, say that. Suniemi. suniemi. All right, one more time. Suniemi. suniemi. Yeah. So, so now you all speak Greek. This word right here, Sunyami, it means, it doesn't, we don't really have a great English translation for this. It doesn't actually just simply mean understand. It means to bring together or set together or join together in your mind. You see, what Mark was trying to tell us, what Mark wanted us to know was they hadn't made a connection. They hadn't joined together in their minds about the loaves, about the feeding of the 5,000. They hadn't connected the dots between. the the event that they had just witnessed, the event they were just a part of, that miracle, and what Jesus was doing walking on the water. You see, they hadn't made the connection between what Jesus had already done and what Jesus is capable of doing. They They hadn't connected those dots yet. And isn't it true for you and for me, it's like that sometimes? That sometimes, for some of us, we have a hard time making the connection to what Jesus has done in the past, and what we hope or think or want him for, for, him, for him to do for us in the future, or even in the present. We have a hard time connecting the dots. Some of us believe some amazing things about Jesus. You see, some of you believe that Jesus actually died on a cross, and not only did he die on a cross, but the, that the Father tells us that, that that actually accomplished something for us, that it paid the penalty. He was the sacrificial lamb, and it paid the penalty for our sins once and for all, our sins past and present and future. And that he was raised from the dead. And some of the reason we believe that is because there was eyewitnesses that documented it. And, and, and it's, it's, it's in history. And the reality is, is those are some amazing things that we believe. But when we try to connect those things to the steps of obedience that Jesus is asking us to take, sometimes we have a difficult time connecting the dots. We have all the reasons in the world why this isn't going to work out for us, why this is difficult, why we're not sure whether we should follow Jesus or not, how will it work out? We're gonna come back to that in just a second. But this is my favorite part of the story because there was one guy who was connecting the dots. Some of you know what's coming and the story is almost too familiar, but there's one guy who was making the connection. He was connecting the dots in his mind. And Peter, Peter said, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. You see, Peter had seen Jesus heal many people before, not just on that day, on many other days. Peter had seen Jesus raise people from the dead. He had seen him cast out demons. He had seen him turn water into wine. Peter had seen all sorts of things. Jesus, he saw Jesus feed thousands of people. He saw Jesus appear out of nowhere when he didn't think they, Jesus was around. He saw and listened to Jesus read people's minds. And Peter started to make the connection. He started to connect the dots with the loaves and all the other things that happened. He started to connect what Jesus had done to what Jesus could do. And he said, "Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water." And I imagine the other guys are going, "Oh, wait, Peter, you're going to go out there? Are you crazy?" Have you seen the wind? Have you seen the waves? We've been out here all night. It's not safe. Don't get out of the boat. Jesus replied. He said, come. Come, he said. Come out on the water. Now here's what we need to remember. Peter did not know how to walk in the water. We've all we've read this story too many times, but Peter didn't know how to walk on water. This is, this is something he was not prepared for. But here's the thing. This is what's true. Peter was clear. Jesus told him to come. He knew exactly what Jesus' instructions were. And he knew who was out on the water. And he knew what Jesus was capable of doing because he'd seen it before. So Peter said, tell me to come out. Jesus said, come, and Matthew goes on, and he tells us, then Peter got down, I love that, he got down out of the boat, and I don't know about you, but I like to imagine this story, and I imagine that he didn't just step onto the water because the water was right there at the boat's edge, I think he like jumped down out of the boat, and I think there was a half a second when his stomach was in his throat, as he gasped for air, wondering what was gonna happen when his feet hit the water. It says he got down out of the boat, and he walked on the water, And he walked towards Jesus. And I don't know about you, but sometimes we're so desensitized because we we know the story, but Peter did not know how to do this. I don't know what Peter was thinking, what Peter was feeling right before this happened. I mean, I'm sure he thought, man, I, I wish the waves weren't quite so high. I wish it weren't so windy. I mean, let's be honest. These aren't ideal conditions for a first lesson in water walking, right? Like, this is not ideal. But here's something I think we can take from this story is some things, something I've seen in the Bible, throughout the Bible, I've seen in my own life, in the lives of other people, is that sometimes how follows obedience. How usually follows our obedience in Jesus. And usually when he calls us to step out, when we step out, is when we discover how we're gonna do what Jesus It's called us to do. Now, I've never taught anybody to walk on water. I don't know about you, I've never had that experience. I've never walked on water myself. However, I am a two-time all-pro dad in teaching kids to walk on land, which is to say my five and seven-year-olds successfully learned how to walk. So I've taught kids how to, to walk before. And here's the really interesting thing is that I think there's a correlation. In fact, I think that sometimes kids learning to walk is kind of like adults learning to walk in obedience to Jesus. And here's what I mean. Take a look at this. (laughs) okay now that's my daughter gentry who we had a little bit of trouble with i'm going to show you that again in just a second because it's important not just because i I love showing off my kids which all preachers do that's true but here's why here's why i show you the video is gentry we were in this stage with gentry where she hated this she did not want to learn how to walk we were in this stage some of you were this we're in this stage with your kids where she'd take a step and fall and quit She's not gonna try. She'd just throw a tantrum on the floor and she would not try. So we got in the habit every day. We decided in our front room, which was the only room downstairs we had that had carpet, we were gonna try in the front room to, to teach her to walk every day. We're just gonna keep doing it until she got it. And this was one of those days. And she's throwing a full-on tantrum and multiple times I was trying to get her to go my wife's video over and over and over. And we finally got this one. But here's what I want you to pay attention to. What we discovered was that if we could just get her to focus on Jen, on the person calling her to come towards them, that it completely changed the way she felt about what she was doing. It completely changed the scenario. So I'm gonna show you this one more time and I want you to watch the end. Watch, notice what happens at the end of this video. Take a look again. see, when she finally focused on my wife, when she finally focused on the voice, focused her attention on the voice that was calling her, everything changed. Now, she hasn't changed a whole lot. She's still a diva. It's still like that in our house. For those of you who have teenage girls, you know what we're in for, right? In fact, when I asked, Jen, when I asked Gentry's permission, you know, I didn't ask permission in the story I told last week. I asked permission this week. I learned a lesson on that one. When I asked her her permission, this is what she said to me. She said, but Daddy, then everybody's going to be complimenting me, and I'm going to get so tired of saying thank you. So... <laughs> So I'm just asking you, please don't compliment my daughter if you see her today. It's really important. But here's what's still true. Here's what's still true about her. That when she focuses on her mom and her dad that are calling her, that are asking her to be obedient, when there's a relationship, when there's a connection, she takes comfort in the fact in who is calling her, who is asking her, And I think the same was true for Peter. I think Peter took comfort in the fact that Jesus was out on the water. And you see, choosing to take comfort in Jesus, a lot of times, involves choosing to lose comfort in everything else. You see, some of you, you've learned to take comfort in other things, and those are the things that are in contrast to you following Jesus. You've taken security uh, in a job, or in a relationship, you found financial security. You've taken uh, security in a a way of life or in a certain location in which you live in. And to follow Jesus, to do what's next, means giving up, choosing to lose comfort in those other things. It's sometimes choosing to take comfort in Jesus, choosing to follow Jesus and obedience to Jesus involves choosing to lose comfort in a lot of other things. So let me ask you the question. Let me ask you this question. What do you fear losing most? What do you fear losing? What is it that when you think about it, when you think about holding on to this thing that if you were to lose it scares you to death, what is that thing? Because that thing, that's your boat. That's your boat. The reality is is that's the thing that you're trying that Jesus is calling you to step out of. And Peter, it would have been so much easier for Peter to stay in the comfort of the boat. But Jesus was calling Peter to take a step, to step out on the water, to trust him. And here's what Peter knew. He knew that Jesus was out on the water and he had to decide, am I going to take comfort in Jesus and the, and take a step of obedience towards what he's called me to do? Or am I going to take comfort in the boat, sitting in what I know, sitting in what I've taken security in? Because they were mutually exclusive. He couldn't take comfort in both. And taking comfort in Jesus sometimes involves choosing to lose comfort in some other area of our lives. But it's impossible not to give that up if you're going to really be obedient and to follow Jesus. Now, some of you right now are really upset with me because you think I'm about to skip the, the part of the story, the way the, way the story ends, because you know how the story ends. And, and I'm just gonna say, I'm gonna show it to you. I'm gonna put it up on the screen, but I'm gonna promise you you're not gonna like it. And here's why. Because you think it justifies you being able to stay in your boat. But I don't think it does. You see, Peter took his eyes off Jesus. And the Bible tells us that when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid, it began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. Peter took his attention off of Jesus. He he, he stopped focusing on the one who called him and he started focusing on the circumstance around him. He started focusing on the how, even though he's walking on the water, he was focusing on the how. And the Bible tells us that Jesus said, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? That's actually true. Jesus said that. But something else happened before that. Jesus questioned Peter's faith. But before that, watch this and don't miss this. What actually happened right before that, the Bible tells us, and I kind of tricked you a little bit, the Bible tells us that immediately, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and he caught him. Do you know why? Because Jesus doesn't hang out in boats. Jesus was out on the water. And Jesus is there as promised for anybody who steps out in obedience to him. Did Peter fail? Yeah, he did, in a sense. But Peter also walked on the water. Nobody else ever before in history, ever since since that time, ever before that time, nobody else in history has ever walked on water. Peter's the only one. And when he fell, Jesus who was out on the water, who called him out, was there to catch him. Yeah, Peter failed. Do you know what I think? I think there were 11 bigger failures in the boat. I think there were 11 bigger failures in the boat because they never had the thrill of experiencing what it is to follow the voice of Jesus out onto the water. They never got to experience it. But Peter understood he made the connection. He connected the dots between what Jesus had done and what Jesus could do. And he stepped out in faith on the water. Now in just a second, we're gonna close with a song. And it's a song appropriate called Oceans. But I want you to think about something as we sing this song. As we sing this song, I want you to think, I want you to think about this question. What is it, what is the thing for you that if you took a step of obedience or a step of faith would completely suck the breath out of your lungs? What is it that would put your stomach in your throat but you know it's something Jesus is calling you to do? What is it that if you were to step out for Jesus, you know there would be a free fall? You know it would be terrifying and that only Jesus could catch you. Only Jesus could save you. Only Jesus would be there to the rescue. What is that thing? See, Jesus is out on the water, and he's calling you. And I don't know what it is. But whatever that thing is, is your boat. And I made a list. You don't like lists, but I, I made a list anyway. And for some of you, it's gonna get really personal. For some of you, it's leaving a job. That's your comfort. And you need to leave the job because there's too much temptation Either financial temptation or you're tempted to be a workaholic or there's, there's a, 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 a sexual temptation towards infidelity in your office. There's, there's just too much temptation in this job and it's the wrong job and it's not healthy for you and you need to leave the job and it is getting out of the boat for you. And it's uncomfortable. It's terrifying. Jesus is calling you to step out of the boat. For some of you, it's breaking up with that person you've been dating. You haven't dated in a long time. And there's nobody else on the horizon. You're not leaving them to go to somebody else. And you've taken comfort and security, but you know they're not the right person for you. And you know Jesus is calling you to step out of that relationship. For some of you, it's giving sacrificially to something you've been asked to give to, something really significant. Some of you think I'm trying to make a a ploy for you to give to our church. Just, Just take that out of your mind. It might be something outside. Let's just say it's something outside of here. And you know you need to give to it. You know it's good for you and you know they need your help. Jesus is calling you to step out. For some of you, it's going on a mission trip. And you've never taken that step, and you've felt it. You every time we bring it up, you know, and you're chicken. That's the truth. You're chicken. And Jesus is saying, we'll do this together. I want you to come with me. It'll be an adventure of a lifetime. You'll experience me in a way you won't, you just can't any other way. But what about raising the money? What about the diseases? What about the danger in the world? And Jesus is saying, come on, come with me. For some of you, it's moving your family because you're not in the right place. You're not in the right space. You're, I, don't, I don't know why you need to move. And I don't know if it's stuff that's going on in your neighborhood. I don't know if there's unhealthy relationships. I don't know what it is. But some of you, it's moving your family and you, you, you found security where you are, and you, but you know you need to move some of you it's starting a company or taking a company company public god wants to use you to step out to 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 create incredible resources that he can use you not only to start this company to have an impact in our world but so that you can use those resources to impact his kingdom and he's waiting for you to take that free fall of faith out of the boat and follow him out on the water and you know you need to do it for some of you it's leaving business and going into ministry it's been in your heart for a while and you can't figure out how to make the numbers work. The truth is, they'll never work. I promise, I can tell you firsthand. But that's what Jesus is calling you to do. And you want to plan. Isn't it true? You want to know how it's going to work out. Jesus is calling you to step out, to just take a step toward him. And when you take that step of obedience, he'll show you how. See, Peter never knew how to walk in the water. He never knew. He didn't even obtain the ability that day. He never walked on water after that. Peter walked on the water because his step of obedience activated the power of God in his life to do something he could never do any other way. And the same is true for you. Don't miss out on that. So here's what I want you to do I want you to close your eyes. We're gonna start this song in just a second. But I want you to close your eyes. I want you to think about it. What is that thing Jesus is calling you to do? It seems crazy. But it's not, it comes up over and over. Other people have affirmed it. This is not just some crazy idea you've had on your own. This is something you've been nudged. Every time you show up in small group, every time you come to church, every time somebody speaks in your life, you know this thing is there and that Jesus is calling you to do it. What is it? I want so bad for you to experience this. As your pastor, I want you to know this will be an experience unlike any other. You'll never be the same. You'll never be the same. Your relationship with God will never be the same if you step out. And yet the winds of dif- discomfort are blowing. It's what you're listening to. The waves of doubt are crashing. It's what you see. Don't miss this. Jesus is out on the water and he's calling you. And you know what he's done in the past and you know what he's capable of. And he's calling you to step out toward him. He's saying the same thing to you he said to Peter. Take comfort. Take courage. It's me. I'm out here. Come join me on the water. We'll do this together. God, thank you. Thank you for Peter's courage. Man, how I wish I could have been. Sometimes I think if I had been there, if I had been there and saw that, I would do so many great things for you. But the truth is, you've already done so many great things around many of us. We've seen you do things in people's lives we know they couldn't do on their own. So I pray in these moments, you would connect the dots for some people. You'd make the connection for people between what you've done in the past and what you're capable of doing in and through their lives in the future. You give them the courage to take that step of faith drop out of the boat and that you would meet them there in their obedience to you. And I pray it in Jesus' name.